Well, it's great to be with you again today. Be able to worship the Lord together. It's great to hear your voices. I tell you what, the voices of the saints definitely filled this place today. Uh, my grandparents are here with us, and so I want to welcome them. They're sitting right behind Bernie, if you know who Bernie is. And so uh, great to have you guys here, and uh, definitely just wanted to mention that today. Uh, it's a blessing to be able to worship with you. Yeah, you can clap for him. You can clap for him. That's good. So today we're continuing our series in the book of James. Last week we looked at the difference between earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. And we talked about uh, how as believers we are to be able to tell if, if the wisdom that we are looking at is earthly wisdom or heavenly wisdom. Is it demonic wisdom or is it wisdom that comes from God, which James tells us about, right? How we're to ask God and believe that he's going to give it to us, right? But that's, that's not the earthly wisdom, right? That's the heavenly wisdom. And so if you missed it, check it out online. But let me summarize a couple of things for you today. James is writing to Jewish believers. And so I want you to understand that as we work through this passage, this today is talking about believers as of what we've looked at before this. And we're going to work verse by verse, and we're actually only going to work to verse 10. I had originally thought I was going to go through verse 12. Next week we'll talk about verses 11 and 12 and the rest of the chapter. Um, but look at, look at verse 1 with me. James chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Church, saints, why are you fighting? Why are you quarreling? Why are you continuing to disagree? See, we know that there are issues that exist within Christian friendships, Christian marriages, and within the church. We actually see uh, there are multiple churches in Scripture where quarrels and fights were given examples of. The, uh, in the church of Philippi, right? You have Yodia and Syneche, two women who weren't able to get along to the point where Paul actually addresses them in the letter. You have the church in Galatians, right? Where it's written this, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out you're not consumed by one another. It's obvious the church in, in Galatia was not talking to each other with a lot of love, right? If you bite and devour, I mean, think about how does that sound when you talk about the way you treat one another. In, in the church in Corinth, we had believers suing believers, right? Taking each other to court. There are issues that exist amongst the body. And, and what does James say? James says, why are these things happening? Why do you have quarrels? Why do you have fights? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? See, I, I think as we work through some of these things, we have to think to ourselves, well, we're Christians. Why in the world would this happen? Why in a Christian marriage can a husband and wife not get along? Why in the church do we see churches split over stupid things? Things that... <laughs> Have no reason to split the church. When you look at, I mean, look at Corinth and believers suing other believers. Why do these things happen? And James says, it's because your passions are at war within you. What are your passions? Well, it's talking about earthly things, things that you set your mind on, that you focus on. That's your desire. 
James is writing to believers, talking about the process of their sanctification. Your passions, your flesh is at war within you. See, we know as believers that once you give your life to Christ, you're a new creation, but as long as we're on this earth, we're going to battle with that flesh, right? With that old nature. So why are there quarrels and fights among you? It's because of what you set your mind on. Points us back to other times, even in the book of, in the book of James. Skip forward here a little bit. James writes, when we were talking about the tongue, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought to not be so. 1 Peter 2.11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Why are there quarrels? Why are there fights that exist among believers? It's because you're giving in to the passions of the flesh which are waging war against your soul. <coughs> and we're warned in Scripture that that's what we are to push away from. We are to deny ourselves. Because the Bible tells us that we'll continue to deal with the old flesh as long as we're here on this earth. What is causing all of this? It stems back to a sin problem. James says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. So what desires is he talking about? He's talking about the desires of the heart, a heart that's not satisfied with what God has given, a heart that's not content with what God has provided. It's an attitude of selfishness and of jealousy. Warren Wiersbe, he's a commentary writer, and he writes this. He said, the essence of sin is selfishness. Eve disobeyed God because she wanted to eat of the tree and become wise like God. Abraham lied about his wife because he selfishly wanted to save his own life. Achan caused defeat to Israel because he selfishly took some forbidden loot from the ruins of Jericho. He then goes to Isaiah 53, 6, which says, We have turned everyone to his own way. And he continues to write, Often we veil our religious quarrels under the disguise of spirituality. We're like Miriam and Aaron, who complained about Moses' wife, but who were really envious of Moses' authority. Or we imitate James and John who ask for special thrones in the kingdom when what they really want is recognition today. In both these instances, the result of selfish desire was chastening and division amongst God's people. Miriam's sin halted the progress of Israel for a whole week. You desire and you don't have, so you murder. You covet, you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Why? Because we are people that are going to continue to deal with our old nature, with our sinful flesh. You want something that you can't have, that you don't have. In modern day terms, it'd be talked about like keeping up with the Joneses. You can't keep up with the Joneses. So you decide to hate your Christian brother or sister. You can't get what you want, so you fight and you quarrel with them. It affects the way that you look at them, the way that you treat them. It affects the way that you talk about them and other people see them. Maybe it has something to do with a, something financial. Maybe it's a house or a car. Maybe it's the way that they treat one another. So maybe it's something that's different about their family than yours. Maybe it's their place in the church or the way that other people treat them. And it causes a hatred in your heart because you've allowed yourself to become selfish and jealous towards them. James uses the word murder. He doesn't use it lightly. 
Right? When we see that word, it should cause us to stop. You don't have and you murder. I don't believe James is talking about how the Jewish people didn't have something and they would just go kill somebody to be able to get it. But instead he's talking about the hatred that existed in their heart. Do you remember in Matthew 5 when Jesus talks about murder and anger? You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the fire of hell. James wants his readers to understand, as Jesus was trying to communicate, and communicated in Matthew chapter 5, that this is a heart issue. It's a heart issue that exists in us. And while sometimes we look at the outward appearance and we can try and wear a Sunday morning face and pretend like everything's good, God sees right through it. So you might as well not even put on a Sunday morning face, right? Because God sees right through it into the heart of what's going on in your life, in my life. Because God looks at your heart. We're so focused on outward appearance, but God's looking right at your heart. The commentator Barclay, he, he writes this about Matthew 5. He said, so Jesus, forev- so Jesus forbids forever the anger which broods, the anger which will not forget, the anger which refuses to be pacified, and the anger which seeks revenge that has no place in the hearts of believers. This person that James is talking about is someone that's not able to obtain something that someone else has. So they follow their evil desires. They give in to their selfish ways. They give in to their jealousy. And it begins to to brood this, this animosity towards other people in the church. And then James says something. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. You do not have because you do not ask. You're so upset with those people. You're so jealous of them. Did you ever ask God for that? Now, here's the thing. James isn't preaching a prosperity gospel, a false gospel. He's not preaching that. James isn't preaching a name it and claim it. If you just go and pray that God's going to give you as nice of a car as somebody else has out there, that when you leave the sanctuary, is going to be a little red ribbon tied on a brand new vehicle out there for you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, did you ever pray about it? Maybe you should go and ask God for that. Maybe you should come before Almighty God and ask. And this isn't the end though, right? He says this, you do not have because you do not ask. Did you pray about it? And then he says this, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Some of you, you're going to go and you're going to ask God and you're going to say, Lord, I need this and I need this and I look at this person. Why in the world are they in that kind of scenario and I'm over here? Do you hear how much my car squeals going down the road? I've told you the story about our squealy car, right? When we first got married, we lived in a, we lived in a, a, a studio apartment, Sarah and I, when we first got married, uh, over towards the outlets. And it was a really nice development, and uh, the people that owned it had their house right beside, and we lived right above their garage. And, and in order to get through the bathroom, you had to kind of <gasps> suck in and get through the kitchen, right? And then you could get into the bathroom. Um, but there was so, and the cars were so nice, and everything was so nice. And then there were our cars parked on the street, right? And Sarah's car, every day, 
every day when you turn it on, <coughs> there was a problem with the belt. Well, we didn't have any money. And, and, the, and the belt would go, Wee! right? You know that when, when the belt's going bad? And I had no idea how to fix that. And, uh, and Sarah worked at Mr. Sticky Sticky Buns in Lancaster. Phenomenal Sticky Buns. But she had to leave at like 5 in the morning every morning. And so we had our, our old ugly cars there parked on this beautiful street. <laughs> and then every time she'd start it up at 5 in the morning, she'd squeal all the way down the road. <laughs> every time I think of cars, it reminds me of that story. But James is saying, listen, you're... You might ask God for something. You might say, God, my, my car is squealing like crazy. And that, man, that, that car over there, that looks really nice. Can I have that car? Can you provide me with something like that? And God says, no. Why? You don't hear my car squealing? <laughs> you don't hear the way that this scenario is going? You know, God says, no. Why? Because you ask wrongly. You're asking, and it's all about you. You're asking about you. It's not about, about me and about the kingdom and about furthering the kingdom. This is about you. So I say no. Charles Spurgeon writes, When a man so prays, in re- reference to this verse, he asks God to be his servant and gratify his desires. Nay, worse than that, he wants God to join him in the service of his lusts. He will gratify his lusts, and God shall come and help him do it. Such a prayer is blasphemous, but a large quantity is offered and it must be one of the most God-provoking things that heaven ever beholds. You know, we've we've been given the opportunity on this life to live a life to bring God glory, to further the kingdom, yet so often we live with an earthly perspective, right? It's all about now and we we live with this idea I'm working towards retirement and I want to make sure everything's good then and and I'm going to make sure I have all my, my ducks in a row. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we're not to be good stewards and we're not to work hard. But how often do we live our lives with just a focus on this earth when it's all, when it's all going to burn? Right? It's going to be gone. It's going to go away. What's eternal is what matters. And, and here James is saying, listen, you're asking for this, but don't you understand? Your heart's in the wrong place because this is going to go away. But what e- what's eternal? What's eternal is what matters. What's eternal is what matters. So you're asking for this, but it's not a part of my plan. And God says no. So we live with our eyes fixed on what's temporary, completely contrary to what we're told in Scripture. But when we live with our eyes fixed on Jesus, with a kingdom focus and a kingdom perspective, it causes us to live differently, to act differently, to give differently, to serve differently, to talk differently, to love differently, when we're focused on what's eternal instead of what's temporary. See, our priorities in life tell us where and what we are focused on. One of the things, when I was a, uh, working with the youth group at Word of Life, I would tell them on a regular basis, I said, guys, I want, you to, I want you to get a list, and I want you to write down your priorities in life. And then a couple months later, I'd say, guys, I want you to get a list, and I want you to write down your priorities in life. Why? Because it's so easy to take what's number six and move it up to number one. And move God at number one down to number three. And to get our, our focus wrong to the point where we're, we're coming before God and we're asking for things that really don't have to do with furthering the kingdom, but instead have to do with our own selfishness and our own desires. What does your prayer life say about your focus in life? 
Is it, God, may your will be done? Or is it, God, can you please change your will to fit my plans? So James is saying, listen, these, these people who are jealous, who are selfish, who are, who are taking it out on one another, here's why. Because of what you're going through in your life, what you've allowed to enter into your heart, it's your selfish desires that are causing this to happen. And then he says this. And I, I tell you what, it's refreshing reading Scripture, isn't it? Do you guys feel that way? I love this first, these first three words right here. You adulterous people. James doesn't say, you know what? I don't want to hurt your feelings. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, uh, you know, you, you great people who are selfish and just. No, he says, you adulterous people. Let me get your attention. I'm not worried about offending you because what's eternal is what matters. And I want you to hear this today. You who are falling into this, you're being adulterous in your relationship with God. He's talking to Christians, to believers. You're surrendering to your fleshly desires and being unfaithful to your relationship with Almighty God himself. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Worldliness and godliness are opposites, right? They're complete opposites. In God, there is no darkness, he is completely light. So we have to make the decision on a regular basis, on a daily basis. Do we deny ourselves and follow Jesus? Do we surrender and ask God to work in our lives on a regular basis? See, one cannot follow two masters, and we'll get to that in a couple of minutes. But do you remember what, what Peter said when Jesus was telling him about how uh, Jesus was going to die and then be raised back to life? And, and Jesus is telling Peter this. And what does Peter say? Peter says, not you, Lord. <laughs> That's never going to happen. I'm Peter, right? Not you, God. Not you. I'm not going to let that happen. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me for you're setting your mind on the things of God. Not on the things of God, but on the things of man. Whoever wishes to be a friend with the world makes himself an enemy of God. At that moment, Peter wasn't thinking about what God wanted. Peter was thinking about what Peter wanted. And how easy is it for us to do that, brothers and sisters, in our own walks, in our own journeys, in our own marriages and friendships, and in the church. It's to think about me. Verse 5, James writes, Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Now this is an interesting verse because you actually can't find he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he made to dwell in us in the Old Testament. Right? And so what it seems is, is one of two things. One that um, maybe James 5 is actually two different sentences and we're looking back at James 4. Or, or and I, this one sticks out to me more, is that James is actually talking more about a concept that's found in the Old Testament. That God is a jealous God. That God wants all of you. He doesn't want part of you. He wants all of you, right? That's why we're not to be lukewarm, right? We're not to be lukewarm because God wants all of you, 100%. He wants you to follow him. Verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He gives more grace. Proverbs 3.34, toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. 
So we've been talking, we've been looking at the heart of believers, the, the struggle that exists, the different things, um, the sin that James has been looking at, discontentment, jealousy, materialistic focus instead of a kingdom focus. And we now see James transitions just a little bit and talks about a repentant heart. So, so if, if you're looking at this today and you're saying, man, that's, that's me. I've really, been, I've really been thinking about these people in that way or treating this person in that way. Uh, now, now we get into this part of repentance, right? And, and how your heart is supposed to look when you come before God in repentance. Verse 7 says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. One of the more famous verbs, verses in scripture, right? Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. There's an order to what we're given in, right? This isn't just piece together. Submit yourselves to God comes first, right? You must fall before Almighty God. This is number one. You want to work on sin in your life? It's not about trying to do a, a, a five-step plan to be able to figure out how to be a little bit more patient. First, what you have to do before you do anything else is submit to God. You want sin to be transformed in your life? you got to submit to God. You try and work on sin without submitting to God, it doesn't work. Why? Because it's only through the power that God gives that you're able to overcome sin and temptation. The next is resist the devil. This comes after submitting to God. Submit to God, and when temptation comes, resist it. Resist the devil. Say, no, I'm denying my flesh today. I want nothing to do with that. I'm following God. And by God's power and the Holy Spirit working in me through the blood of Jesus Christ, I want nothing to do with that wickedness. And he will flee. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. In what ways do we draw near to God in our lives? What ways do we do that? Maybe it's by studying the Word of God, which is absolutely a way. By speaking in prayer with Him. By seeking Him on a daily basis. By listening to what He's trying to tell you in your heart. By taking time to spend with Him. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. The tension that's built up from sinning in the relationship between you and God when you draw near to him and repent, you'll see that tension go away. A hard heart is broken down as you draw near to God. And then James writes the following, right? Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Cleanse your hands. You need to do what's right on the outside. Purify your hearts. Do what's right on the inside. He talks about the double-minded person, the person who, who's trying to walk the line, Right? You've seen me do this before, and one of these times I'm going to fall. But, but if you look at, at the edge of this step here, so many times in our Christian lives, we walk the line, right? We put our foot on the line, and we say, you know what? As long as I'm not, as long as I'm not all the way over here, I'm, I'm doing really good. And, and, I, and, and you kind of try and tightrope and walk across. That's a double-minded person. Trying to be worldly and godly at the same time, it doesn't work. The Bible says in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, for either he will either hate one and love the other, or he would be devoted to one and despise the other. And that's talking about God and money, but the same principle would apply to God and the world. 
You can't look out. And we're not talking about, we're not talking about the earth, right? We're not talking about your neighbor. We're talking about sinful desires. You can't say, I'm going to follow God and also follow your sinful desires. It doesn't work like that. And then we get to this, this part that talks about, that talks about repentance, be wretched and mourn and weep. Why in the world would we be told that? Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter, let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy turned into gloom. Because in true understanding of repentance and wrongdoing, there's really nothing to laugh about. In a heart that is truly repentant, in a heart that truly recognizes the sinfulness of what's been done, there is nothing to laugh about. Right? Because we realize how wrong we are. You've heard me say this before, but it's really easy to look at our neighbor and be like, man, I'm not as bad as that guy. But when you look at Jesus and you compare yourself to Jesus, you realize how much we all fall short. And the gospel becomes so clear once again and we're reminded and we thank God for the saving blood of Jesus Christ, which paid the penalty for our sins on Calvary's cross. We didn't deserve it, but he did it anyways. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. True repentance will also include sorrow for the wrong that's been committed. And what a beautiful thing that in that God forgives. We get to verse 10. Which says the following. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. We're going to end with this verse today. This is the last one I'm going to show on the screen, I promise. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. The sermon title today was, was All You Need. All You Need. Now what in the world does all you need have to do with this? Because as we look at the sinfulness that exists in our hearts... Right? All of us together. We realize as we work through this book, we're not looking at our neighbor. We're looking at our own hearts. And we're asking God to search our hearts and bring truth out in our lives so that he can communicate areas that we need to work. And by his grace, he'll help us accomplish that. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. God's given you all that you need to fight the war that you're fighting in this life. All of it. He's given you everything that you need to be able to fight it. But you can't do it by yourself. If you're trying to do it by yourself, you're not using all that he's given you. And you will fail. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he's going to flee. Humble yourselves before God. If your heart's in the wrong place today, if you find and you're feeling convicted about the way you've been talking to someone or treating someone, humble yourself before the Lord. Confess it and he will exalt you. God's listening. He's a God of tremendous grace and tremendous mercy. I'm continually reminded as we work through the book of James that we have to be different. Not, not, and yes, Mount Vernon Christian Church, all of us here today, but those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, Brothers and sisters, we ought to be different. As the days get darker, as people hate each other more and more, we have to be the example. When people look at the world and they see the way that people across the political aisles are talking to one another and treating one another, and they look at the church and they see the same thing, that can't be what's happening. It has to be different. 
We can't live lives that are jealousy and, and, and curse our brother and, and bless someone else at the same time. We must be different. And how do we do that? It's only through God's power, only through God's mercy, and only through God's grace. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the impact that it has on our lives. Father, help us to truly process and chew on and work through the passage that we read today. God, we ask that you would be glorified in our hearts. Lord, that we truly would seek you and seek truth for areas that we're falling short in. Lord, we know we fall short. And as believers, Lord, we confess we need the gospel <laughs> each and every day to be reminded of our shortcomings, but your tremendous mercy and grace. And Father, we run to you. Help us to run to you every day to deny ourselves and to seek after the one who is perfect, the one who is holy. Father, because that's what, that's what we want. We want to live lives that are righteous and holy and true. We want to further your kingdom for your glory. But we realize we can only do that through your power. And so we humble ourselves before you today and ask that, Lord, you would do a tremendous work in our lives, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray.